12-sided stories is for mature audiences and often deals with topics that may be difficult for some listeners. Discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to 12-Sided Stories' actual play of Bluebeard's Bride. And now, your groundskeeper, B. Zelda. Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of Bluebeard's Bride on 12-Sided Stories. I am your current host, B. Zelda. My pronouns are they, them. And we are jumping in to the game of Bluebeard's Bride. We have our fabulous cast of players who have their personas defined, set aside, set against each other. But we're going to go around really quickly to figure out who we have at this table and who they are playing. Starting with Pooja. Hello, I am Pooja and I am playing the Virgin. Hi, I am Michelle and I am playing Fatal. Hello, I am Janine and I will be playing the Witch. Hello, I am Wes and I will be playing the Mother. Before we start, please consider supporting the show through Patreon or on coffee.com spelled K-O-F-I. Now, on with the show. Excellent. So last we left off, this bride had been married. It might not have been the most idyllic wedding that she had imagined for most of her childhood. But nonetheless, she was swept away in a carriage with Bluebeard at her side, his large hands encompassing her small ones. You felt the calluses rub up against yours, and the road underneath you was bumpy. Neither of you said anything to each other as you drove down the dirt path all the way to his manor. Now, some would call it a manor, some with old-fashioned views would call it a castle, with spires craft out of old stone. This building that Bluebeard called home was immense. There were a lot of windows stained with glass and designs that couldn't quite be discerned as you approached it. There was a massive garden outside to the left, and at the entrance there was an enormous double door with a young man standing outside dressed in black. As you arrived, Bluebeard signaled to the driver to slow down, and with his hands upon yours, he looked deep into your eyes. My bride, it is with a deep heart that I must tell you that urgent business has come to my notice, and I must depart immediately. Fear not, for we will consummate our marriage yet. But until then, and he plunges his hand deep into his coat. Now you notice this wasn't the coat that you gave him for the wedding, but nonetheless, he pulls out a ring of keys and presses them into your tough hands. These are the keys to every room in my manor. Visit each as if it were your own, as you are now the mistress of this house. But, and he impresses upon you the smallest key of them all, do not enter my private room. There will be consequences if I find out you have. And then, with a quick kiss on your forehead, he pushes you out of the carriage and drives away. Alright, welcome home, everybody! So, (laughs) the way this works is there is a ring, and there is only one ring. This is going to go around to each of the players, because whoever holds the ring, and this is so much fun where you can do it in person because we'll pass around like a physical ring, but they are the one who controls the body of the bride. Now, you can all talk internally to each other, but there is one person who is the driver, who is the speaker. So I'm trying to think, is there anybody who would like to volunteer for that position right now? Nobody ever wants to volunteer for this position. Uh, alright, well Should we then, rock, paper, scissors? What, with four people? Yeah. <laughs> Just go through each one. <laughs> you, you, knock, you knock someone else out, and then the two or whoever remain. I mean, I, I might be overcomplicating it a little bit, but... <laughs> well, which, I think for your idea that was not my favorite, I am going to nominate you, the holder of the ring. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> it was an idea, you know? It was. I'll give you that. Okay. 
So you are the body that is kind of approaching this, the two double doors that kind of stand before you. In front, there is a young man of maybe 14, 15, wearing a black t-shirt, black trousers, and staring wide-eyed at you. Uh, um, mm, mm, great greetings. Um, I'm supposed to say, um, welcome to your new home. Um, and your name is? What? My name? Uh, um, am I good again? Am I in trouble? No, of course not. Uh, I, uh, hi, hello. Um, thank you for welcoming me. Yeah, I'll open the door for you. Do you have any luggage? I hand over my carpet bag to him, like, gingerly. Like, all of my worldly possessions. (laughs) In, like, one bag. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, let me just push. And like, he heaves all of his might into these doors and they creak open as ominously as possible. Inside, the light is rather dim. You step into a lobby with marble floors and sconces all along the brick walls. There are two staircases that wind at the far end of the room that wind upwards towards hallways that kind of cascade down each side. And there's a variety of doors on the top, two doors on the bottom and the staircase and a back door at the center. The young man kind of heaves your stuff down. Um, I'm, do, do you want me to p- put your stuff somewhere or sh- should I just, um, hold on to it? That's all right. And I take it back from him. I will handle it. Okay. The, the, the Lord says you can enter anywhere you want. Um, I've really only been to two places, so, um, I can't really show you anything, but if you call for help, I'll, 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 I'll come running. How do I call you? Oh, um... Do you want to give me a name? I've never really had one. It's usually just, hey, boy. Let's settle with Toby. And I pat him on the head. Toby? Thank you. That's really nice. Um, But I got to get going. We're we're cooking a a big feast for you tonight. Uh, We heard that you really like sweet pies. Well, uh, you know, the cook's cooking up up a batch. Uh, Thank you. Watch as he scurries away. I thought he was more of a Marcus. <laughs> Toby, throw the old woman out. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> oh, I love it. He must be new, right? He's only been to two rooms. Do you think so Bluebeard got new servants for us? It's so thoughtful. Seems presumptuous. Uh, seems suspect to me. Like Everything seems suspect to you. Yeah, but I mean, you'd have to train all those servants when you already had a staff that knew what they were doing? But this way, they won't compare us to anyone else. Was he married before? I mean, he is older, I guess. That's what the the girls in the village said. Oh. You know we don't compare with anyone else. Your ego sometimes is tiring. I mean, she's right, though. And your derision is equally as tiring. Let's go explore. Agreed. All right. Which, you have the ring of keys in your hand. Describe a key that stands out to you the most, and it will lead you to a door that uh, reflects the pattern upon that key. So I think that there would be one that has perhaps made with a wooden key, not the actual part of the key that you would insert into the tumblers, but one that has like a more ornate wooden... How would you call that part of the key? Maybe like a handle? I don't know. <laughs> I think the handle, that's where your hand goes. I think yeah. it works. We call it the handle. Or the thingle, because it's more like fingers. I don't know. Wow. I'm just making Beautiful. that up. <laughs> yeah, I have bad suggestions today. You know what? I'm, I'm so here for them. <laughs> totally. And it's, it looks to be carved into the shape of a flower. And it's not one that she has seen anywhere native. It's like a cluster and it makes the key itself physically stand out as well with the feel when you, like, grab the keys. It's like a rough, bumpy clusters of smaller flowers, maybe like Elysium, if you know what those are. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't recognize it, so that is the key that calls to her the most. With this key gripped in your hand, you wander almost instinctively, which nature is something that is natural to you flowers and 
my heart wants to say witchcraft, but that's very on the nose. (laughs) But things of that nature just feel comforting to you. So you start to wander a little bit down the left hallway on the first floor. You remember that outside there had been a garden extending off the edge of this manor. And as you travel down these dark hallways that are only lit occasionally by sconces, your footsteps with your dress shoes and your wedding dress still upon your body, you come to a door on the left side. It is a door that is made out of a deep purple heartwood, almost so deep in purple that you feel as if your fingers were to brush against this door. It would be excreting that color like beet juice, and that key with the texture of the Elysium flowers upon your thumbprint, you're able to press it into a lock, and with a sound like a snapping branch, it unlocks. Inside is a greenhouse. The feeling of heat is the first thing that hits your face, your body. Your entire self breaks out in a sweat. But then the next thing to greet you is the smell of wildflowers. It is so beautiful, so perfumey, that you're not even familiar with a lot of the scents that tingle your nostrils. As you gaze around you, you see tables upon tables with potted plants and flowers. There is a garden along the far end of the wall and a dilapidated looking shed with a creaky door that is half ajar. Now, while we are all in the room, I want everybody on the roll 20 sheet to take a look at what the moves are. So we have something called Maiden Moves. Maiden Moves is something that anybody can do independent of who holds the ring. So any one of you could care for somebody that you come across in this room. Any one of you could investigate a mysterious object, be it some of the plants, the garden in the corner, or the shed. And all of you can take stock of a tense situation to ask a question of what's happening. Now, the only person who can perform a ring move is the one holding the ring. Shiver from fear is usually something I have to ask. If it looks like you are freaked out by a situation, I will ask, hey, are you shivering from fear? And be honest, and you know, there might be consequences. When you have the ring, you can caress a horror. This is to roll with blood. It will help dissuade what was intended for you to another victim in the house. You can dirty yourself with violence, which is pretty self-explanatory cry out for help, maybe little Toby can come running, or you can give up the ring, and that is just passing it to somebody else, and that will make you immune from trauma when you give up the ring. So, witch, you stand inside of this small greenhouse that is radiating heat. The earth underneath your feet, kind of, if you're wearing heels, your heels are absolutely sinking in deep. The earth is fresh, like it has been recently turned. What would you like to do? Upon, like, further, just a general inspection of what else is growing here, I think I take off my shoes and approach the shed to investigate the mysterious object that is. Fabulous. You can ask two questions. Which two would you like to know? What memories does this item hold? And, I mean, I suppose this is more granular, but... Why did Bluebeard keep this item? Okay, so keep the second question in mind because sometimes answering the first one might inform upon the second. So what memories does it hold? As you take off your beautiful shoes and you hold them with your index finger and your middle finger, you amble across this earthy ground and you feel it kind of squishing between your toes, getting underneath your toenails, which is nothing new to you. But what does stand out is as you start to approach that shed, The beautiful floral scents that first assailed you is starting to be overcome by a smell of rot. And as a farmer, you are not unfamiliar with the smell of a dead body. You know, dead possums, dead squirrels, dead livestock. Yep, thank you. That makes more sense. So you've experienced this, but what you are smelling smells like that, but so much worse, with just the undercurrent of some wildflowers to cover it up. So as you get close to the shed and you look at it and wonder what memories does this item hold, you hear a groan from the inside and you reach out with your calloused hands and you touch the surface of that broken door that is hanging ajar off of this shed and you get a flashback of screams. Not too dissimilar to 
the screams of an animal when it's being put down. You know, what? Uh, you've had three horses in your village, and you had to hear the sound of that third one being put down. It's a sound that you've heard before, but you've been grateful enough to have never had to witness it. But you do know that sound, and in these memories, the sounds keep going, and there is thumping. There is the sound of glass breaking. And as you move your hand away from the edge of this shed, those screams start to emit. Uh, what second question would you like to know still? Are you okay? You seem hesitant. I, well, the question I want to go with is whose item is this, but maybe how does that... Do you more want to know who might be in there? Yes. There's someone in there. Your curiosity as that voice inside your head tries to check in with you gets the better of you. And with one dirty foot, you take another step forward. And the screams inside get louder. They sound like somebody's in pain. As you tilt your head and try to listen closer, you can hear the sound of fingernails scraping against wood. And finally, you hear the gasp of a woman. <gasps> I can't breathe. What would you like to do? And your sisters can help out with any of the maiden moves if they have any questions. But ring moves are only you, witch. Witch, what, are you okay? Are you all right? I want to know what's in there. Well, we have to go in. We have to help whoever that is. We, we've just arrived. If one of the other servants or or the one of what it's what if it's the greenhouse keeper and then they died while Bluebeard was away? <gasps> I can't. <gasps> I need help. <gasps> Which I feel you should open the door. Open the door. I shove it open with a little bit of light that you're able to provide after this door practically falls off of its hinges. Inside, you see a floor that is covered in white. You can't quite tell what it is without further investigation. There is a woman whose body is incredibly thin, and you can see every one of her bones protruding from her body. Her knobby hands are clutched around her throat, and her face is turning a shade of purple, not too dissimilar from a flower that you spotted outside. She gasps for air as one of her hands claws nail tracks down her flesh, and the other is clawing in the wood to pull herself out of the shed. I... so... I would like to care for someone. How can I... I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you out of here. <gasps> you have to find my baby. <gasps> They're in here. I need them. <gasps> Don't, just leave me alone. At this point, I, I take stock and I'm looking for the horror that is hidden here. As you were stepping through this small greenhouse area, there were plants that you had seen on those tables that you did not recognize. There was nothing incredibly odd about them when you kind of walked past them, but when you replay that memory in your head, there was something too thick about the plants. There was something too unplant-like about them. And you replay walking by them, walking by them. There was something purple. There was something almost pale. There was something brown and then you remember digits and you know that this woman's baby might still be alive but it is being grown in one of those plants behind you i what is you got what is that and i reach out to the plants for one of the digits and i introspectively i ask the mother what is this <gasps> My baby! He took my baby! He said I couldn't grow them! As if I- <gasps> And she starts to choke again. It- I- I've never seen anything like this, but we- we must take these plants to her, I- I guess. It seems like the only way to- to show her? Maybe she'll be able to- I don't- I don't know, I've never seen such horrible things. I mean, she just said that- that- Bluebeard didn't want her to, so she was doing it. She was doing it without his permission. She was doing it against his will. But a mother needs a a child. You can't separate the two, even if 
Even if he didn't want it to happen, it doesn't seem right to me. We need to put the two back together. And if he didn't want us to do this, he should have mentioned it. The only thing he mentioned was don't go into that little room. He said nothing about don't reunite this woman with her baby plants. We are the the lady of the house now, and I feel that that seems like the best thing for us to do if we're going to be kind ladies of the house, as it were, sisters. You're right. We should take care of them, right? That's my feeling. We must get past our disgust for what's going on and work together to make things better. I reach out with slightly trembling hands and take hold of the plants with the intent of uprooting them and taking them to the horror. What color one do you pick? So they're all like baby skin colors, but throughout their veins, they have purple and red, probably a little bit of yellow. One of those three colors kind of just like coursing through their veins, creating a lovely spiderweb effect upon their flesh. I choose the red. So you are able to kind of grasp the tiny little fingers and you pull it up and sure as day, you have pulled up a baby of maybe two months old. Immediately, she begins to wail as her lungs are finally exposed to the air again. She looks rather healthy if it wasn't for that strange red pattern that is coursing all throughout her tiny little body. I hurriedly pass her to the mother with it. I think you must, you should feed her. The woman who is made of mostly bones reaches out with troubling hands. Underneath her fingernails, you see the flesh that she has torn away from her neck and the wood that she has scraped away from the shed that she lays upon. She reaches out and clasps that baby so gently against her bosom. There is a split second when everything feels and looks beautiful. And then the baby begins to suck. And that red poison begins to spread throughout that woman's chest. It starts at her chest, it goes out to her arms, it goes up to her neck, and then she falls over, dead. The baby topples over gently, and then begins to cry. Now now what? That baby killed that woman. It wasn't going to take much either way. But what do we do with it? I start digging open the the soil where I, I uh, removed her from. I think I think putting it back, I'm going to put her back. Then I approach the baby to pick it up. You bend over to reach out to this baby. And what first looked like something beautiful and innocent and just so full of life suddenly turns darker and disgusting. You look closer at that baby and it has teeth. It has sharp teeth and more layers than a tiny human of that caliber ever should. You look closer at what were cute little nubbin of fingers and you realize that those are barbed plant wires. It's almost outrageous that anybody could ever have grasped those. The baby's hair looks like limp seaweed. The body itself is like a gnarled root. And those red eyes, they are staring down at you, witch, hungrily. As unsettling as this interaction with this, what I now assume to be, in my mind, would be a changeling. I'm going to caress a horror as I approach the earth from which I took it to replace it and with the intent of leaving this room and locking the door and not thinking about it again. Heck yes. So this is going to be our first roll of the game. To caress a horror, you are going to roll plus blood. Oh, there it is. Nice, an eight. And is that with your plus uh, one on blood? Let's find out. That is a three plus five. So I didn't even add the plus one. So that's a nine total. Nice. All right. So with a plus nine on Caress of Horror, the horror is swayed by your stroke. So you will direct what is intended for you to another victim in the house. And I think what happens is as, well, actually, um, this is going to be a collaborative effort. So you have to literally caress the baby the root plant dirt baby. Um, how, how do you go about this? So I pick it up from 
the juncture of where like the neck and shoulder meet with an attempt to make sure that I don't get bitten. Okay, and it's screaming hungrily, wailing. And as I pick it up and bring it, like crook my arm to bring it closer to me, but not so much that I w- it would be resting against me, I start to rub its stomach in like a soothing circular motion like you would an actual baby. And I'm hushing it. Shoot. This is incredibly effective. There's a moment of silence, and it does become quite apparent as you look down that the white floor covering was bone dust, as there are bones that have still not quite disintegrated around you. But the baby is starting to be soothed until it hiccups a little bit. And now you did roll a nine, which is a mixed success, so it does need you to participate. I'm just going to take this as a hard move a little bit, because you're soothing it. And, well, babies are often easy to soothe, they are also disgusting. And with one more hiccup, this baby projectile vomits. This combination of blood and poison that it had been growing inside of its body. It strikes the shoulder of your dress and it burns through the cloth and starts to singe your flesh. So it starts to smoke a little bit. But before you're able to completely absorb what had just happened, you hear clattering outside of that shed as the babies inside of the other terracotta plants begin to emerge. And there is the pitter-patter of footsteps as the door outside opens and closes. The baby in front of you looks at you and hiccups one more time and spits up a little bit more of that gross concoction. I need you to mark one trauma, please. And your sisters can decide if they should take that too. I'm definitely taking one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As mother, I don't feel that I, I really want to like help babies, but these babies are like demon Pikmin and I just can't. Yes, demon Pikmin. Pikmin. <laughs> I oh. did not want to go over there. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Nope. Nope. This isn't my fault. <laughs> Love. Uh, all right. Fatal. So to leave this room, you can propose a truth. When you propose a truth about the room, detailed what you think happened in here. Who did it happen to and why? And then I need you to tell me what token you're going to take that support your interpretation of what has happened here. This was a servant who was meant to be the gardener, but she, like all the previous servants who were gardeners before her, went mad. And it was because of these little plant babies. They mesmerize the people and they make them their servants to the point where they will gladly die for these demon plant babies. (laughs) And so all that bone dust is the previous gardeners and she was just the latest in the line. So what token would you like to take that supports your interpretation of this? Is it a little bit of dirt? Is it um, maybe like I love the description of Pikmin because they always have like those little flowers on their head or the little leaves. <laughs> sure there's a couple of leaves on the ground you could take. Yeah, I think probably like if there's one of those purple flowers that's sort of dried, mm-hmm. I would take one of those. And will this be a token of faithfulness where you do believe that your husband is true and faithful and there is nothing wrong afoot that he could have anything to do with? Or do you believe that he's a dick and he had a lot to do with this? Hmm. That's hard because he did tell her not to grow these things. Do you believe her? She'd have no reason to lie. So I'd say that I'll take it as a token of faith. Excellent. You are allowed to step outside of this garden with your feet full of dirt. And as that door closes behind you, that pain in your shoulder begins to fade. But the damage to your dress remains Now, which you have to give up the key. What sister would you like to give it to? I think the mother, just to inject some reason into this situation, despite thinking of her as the hot-headed scene maker for for moments where moral ambiguity comes into play. (laughs) Your decision's the right one. (laughs) I'm here to help. All right, mother, when you glance down at that ring of keys, what key stands out to you? A long 
silver key with an interwoven pattern that ends in a like Bluebeard's family crest. Ooh. And it's it's the cleanest and shiniest of all the keys. With this key in mind, your feet begin to walk and eventually it leads you out of this hallway and down another. This hallway is more appropriately lit. There is a red carpet down the center with golden fringe and at the very end of this hallway is a wide double door with a silver handle that has almost snakeskin pattern. The entire door looks like it has been chiseled and beautifully crafted with these intricate designs that reflect Bluebeard's crest. You are able to enter that key and it turns like a spoon clinking against a wine glass. The room opens, you enter, and the door closes behind you. Inside here is the dining room. The color palette is very white and silver. There is an incredibly long table with beautifully polished silverware and plates and glasses that line the table. The tablecloth is a white and silver fringed cloth. The floor is made out of marble with silver flecks that decorate, that create a reflection as the overhead chandelier with over 200 candles lit overhead create a beautiful shimmering shadow that covers the floor beneath you. You notice immediately the detailed cutlery that is on the table. On the far end of this incredibly long table, there's a woman who sits on the end, probably 40 feet from you. On the side of the room, there is a display case that is made out of silver legs and almost a woven design that goes all around it. But the glass makes it clear what's on the inside. And there are a lot of curious artifacts that represent Bluebeard's travels. What would you like to do in here? See, my sisters? Look around you. This is what we deserve. A beautiful hall, a place to eat and raise children. This is much more aligned with what we should become accustomed to. It's very beautiful. It is. So is that woman over there. True. Let's go talk with her. So I make our way over there and introduce myself. Hello. You are? There is a stern looking woman seated on one of these red leather chairs and she is wearing a clinging silver dress with an intricate necklace. Her hair is done in a beautiful kind of updo with silver wire wrapping all the way around the top. She tilts her head with a chin that is held high. Um, who am I? Who am I? I am the most beautiful woman of this entire house, and you cannot tell me otherwise. Have you seen yourself? Look at your feet! Those are disgusting, and that dress? You dare come into this dining hall with a dress filled with holes? Who do you think you are? Why, I'm the lady of the house, of course. Ha! Huh. No lady would wear something as atrocious as that, and your hair, your braids are coming out, your makeup is smudged, and that body. But, Your body is disgusting. Have you looked at yourself? But I, I've never had anyone say otherwise that I'm not attractive. I am saying otherwise. Well, I don't, I, uh, um. She's just jealous. She wants Bluebeard for herself. Hmm. It's obvious that something servant or maybe he hired her to be a hairdresser or to take care of our makeup and she's putting on airs. This is very classic. Seems like something that who's been working under a man for all of these years or however long she's been here would say. Just like Bluebeard, talking about how ill-fitting the dress is as if he couldn't afford to pay a better tailor. What if she's the one who he asked to tailor it? It's obvious that she believes she should be the lady of the house. So I look at her sternly after taking counsel from my sisters and I say, I asked you a question. What is your position here? My position? 
My position is to make sure that you are an appropriate fit for Bluebeard. Take your dress off. Let me see what you look like. Are you a seamstress? Does it matter who I am? I am telling you what to do. And if you wish to be an appropriate bride for Bluebeard, you will listen to what I say. Have you not looked upon me? Do you not want to look like this? Not really. I've always been happy with the way I look. You look like a boy. Bluebeard did not marry a boy. He married a woman. A woman with no chest, shoulders like a brick wall, and legs that are thicker than I have ever seen. Um, okay. So, being a farmhand, part of me really just wants to punch her. There's an option for violence. There's always an option for violence. I think that that would go against my character, and I'd like to do that because uh, she's pushed me. I'm not, I'm flummoxed by the way that, yeah, I'm, I'm flummoxed by the way that she's uh, treating us. And so I'm going to lash out with violence. I love this. All right. Roll and let me know what you try to do. I'm just going to show her what these brick shoulders can do and try to smack her. I rolled a seven. Nice. Okie dokie. So when you dirty yourself with violence, on a hit you inflict trauma as established, you choose one, but you got a seven to nine. So you're going to choose either disable, silence, or mutilate, as well as let me know if your vulnerability opens you up or your carelessness leaves you in a bad spot. I am going to say that I go for just silence because that's what I want, but I'm going to say that it opens me up to my... I guess vulnerability, because mm-hmm. I've done something that I I don't like striking. I don't like violence. I'm a, a nurturer, and this is not the position that I want to be put in. So what does it look like as you silence this person with violence? I take my hand back, swing it as hard as I can against her jaw, and just smack her. And I kind of hit her ear a little bit, too. So there's this ring that comes out, a little tinnitus happens in her in her ear for a moment, and she's dumbfounded and silent, and I look at my hand, it's hurting, I've hit her so hard, and it's red, and I, I feel just absolutely terrible that I've I've done this. Your moment of hesitation is enough to give her that moment of action that she needs. With that slap mark across her face, she stands up so fast that she knocks the chair behind her. And with that wire that has been wrapped around her updo, she instead wraps that around your throat and begins to tighten. Please mark one trauma and let me know if the sisters would also like to take this trauma. I am going to take this trauma. This woman is everything I believe that Bluebeard would want us to become. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm more... I don't know. I'm more angry than traumatized, I think. But I, that's a tough one, whether I take the trauma or not. Because I'm more, I'm more just like, oh, no, this woman's going down. <laughs> type I agree with Fatal. Most things inflicted by like the physicality aspect are very frightening as, you know, retaliation is swift and just in most situations in which there's a question of am I going to allow this to traumatize me or will I rise above it so no trauma only rage I think that I sense that from my sisters I know I am out of my depth with this and I'd like to toss the ring over to Fatal fabulous you are now immune from trauma well Fatal's deciding She's not having this. (laughs) So to replay the scene a little bit, you have this metal wire around your throat and this woman in the silver dress, her face is close to yours. And while she was temporarily silenced with her mouth close up against your ear so you could feel her gross hot breath, she whispers, I am going to carve out all of the ugly parts on you. Bluebeard will fall in love with you in no time. And she begins to pull tighter on the cable. What would you like to do? Disable them. Yeah. Uh, nine. I'm going to do chat. That was five plus four. Do you have any modifiers in your carnality? No. No? Okay. 
Fabulous. Um, so once again, you can choose, um, you, you can successfully disable, but you are also going to decide whether your vulnerability opens you up to trauma or your carelessness leaves you in a bad spot. I think my carelessness leaves me in a bad spot because that was a hot-headed kind of thing. So while she's got the cable around my neck, I stomp my foot really hard down onto her foot to get her to let go. And then since I'm disabling her, I push her into the chair and I use the cable to tie her to it. You are successful in being able to knock her over and that length of wire is more than enough to wrap around her wrists as they kind of are tied around the arms of the chair. So much so that you can see like the lumps of her flesh where it's digging into. And this takes a little bit of time so that you don't hear the soft click of footsteps behind you as somebody steps across that marble silver speckled floor behind you. You don't catch the glint of a kitchen knife as a woman that looks identical to the one in front of you. Oh God, there's more than one. <laughs> Perfection is meant to be replicated. <laughs> as she reaches out with those beautifully manicured nails and just starts to carve a slice away at your large shoulders. Please mark one trauma and your sisters can decide if this is on them as well. Yep. Yeah. I definitely caused this. <laughs> I think the issue of not being prepared for a, like one-on-one, easy, simple, taken care of, multiple against myself, I'm usually like, this is manageable, but it's the surprise aspect of not catching this doppelganger behind us that causes the trauma for me. If we had just obeyed from the start when the woman told us to take <laughs> off the dress so that she could cut us. Maybe she wouldn't cut us. Maybe if we had cooperated, it wouldn't have hurt so much. She said, I will carve all the ugliness out of you. That was after she started strangling us, but I think that disrobing in front of a woman we don't know, especially a servant, would be immoral. If, if she's here to help us, if she's here to help us, then she's here to help us. But why would we disrobe in a dining room for this person? Why wouldn't they take us to a bedroom, a dressing chamber, a bathing chamber, something? A dining room? You're all behaving precisely as you always do. You must think it's clear that there are things here that are trying to hurt us. They are hurting us. Fatal, make it stop. Stop her. Show them how perfect we are as we are. So, Fatal, you do have to give the ring to somebody else because you have performed a ring move. Well, I am going to give it to Virgin. She gonna get us killed. <laughs> Hold on. Wow. <laughs> Sacrificial Virgin till the end. <laughs> I was gonna say, though I don't have the ring, I can take stock real quick. And, uh... What stalks the Bride from the Shadows? I try very quickly to discern if there's more than this one extra woman. How do we get away from this woman who's trying to stab us? Or would that be what traps? Um, well, that's a good point. I feel like they're very close to each other. Or maybe what horror here is hidden. Right. I don't know if it's hidden anymore. Well, there might be other... Yeah, let's do horror. That's true. Hor what horrors are hidden so that I can let the Virgin know what to avoid because she needs my help. Okay. Yeah, I feel like a lot of these questions kind of overlap in the way that I want to answer. You know, you're, you're able with that pain from your shoulder and like that hot feeling of blood running down your arm, dripping off your elbow. You are able to kind of survey the room just briefly in that moment of like immediate absorption where you have to kind of take in everything. And you see a lot more of these women, but with that kind of shocked and adrenaline that is coursing through you, you notice that there is always one detail that is off of them. Her eyes are a little bit too close together. Her nose is a little different. Her mouth turns in a different way when she sets it neutrally. But all of these women have the same body, the same black hair tied up in braids, the same manicured hands, and the same silver dress. I'm going to caress a horror. Ooh. 
All right. Uh, give me that roll, and then we'll figure out how you go about that. I did not. I did not. Oh, dear. That was incredibly bad. So describe to me what your intent was. I was going to... Should have gone with my other instinct. Whatever. It's fine. I'm actually going to reach out with the hand as my arm, like the blood drips down my arm and to my hand, reach out to stroke the side of her face. And is this the woman who is strapped to the chair or the one that is behind you? I'm going to turn into the one that's behind me. Okay. And say, it's all right. We're not here to hurt you. We want to learn. We want to become who we need to be. Like spoons hitting the side of a wine glass, you hear the tinkling of laughter all around you, all so alike. And that woman leans her face into your bloody hand and she shakes her head. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just need you to stay put. And she raises the hand that held the knife and she gently draws a line down your cheekbone. I just need you to be as beautiful and perfect as Bluebeard needs you to be. We're all like that. Bluebeard expects perfection from his women, and we will perform to the best of our abilities. Now sit tight while I cut you up and make you perfect. And she begins to carve. Please take another trauma, and your sisters can decide if this has affected them as well. Yeah, I'd say carving us up sounds pretty uh, traumatic. <laughs> yeah, no, this is awful. I want to run away. I want to escape this woman. So you have to pass the ring on to another sister, and they can try to escape. They can declare a truth. They can cry out for help. Toby is still somewhere in the back. Obviously, I was not the right choice here. And I'm going to hand the ring off to the witch. And I would like to use my face. Oh, yes. Since I am already bleeding um, and my face is the medium. So spill your blood to commune with the horrors of the room. Mark one trauma and the groundskeeper will share whisperings about what happened here and might ask you a question or two. Answer them. Awesome. Okay, so how do you spill more blood? I think to increase the flow of blood from the wound that I already have on my shoulder, I attempt to like jerk my arm and kind of like like one would to give blood and um, get the blood flowing more more viciously from that wound. Awesome. It is more than enough because you feel that hot liquid drip down your arm and it's it's almost cold at the same time as you don't feel as hot on that side of your body anymore. You just notice the sensation of the blood as it drips down. Now, you want to learn about what happened here. I think as the blood reaches your hand, you make that fist again to kind of pump out more blood from your arm. But as you open up your hand, there is a pattern made from the blood as it reflects on the palm of your hand. And only you can interpret that the way you always do. You know that this was a room of suffering for many of Bluebeard's brides. This was a room where these women never got to eat. They simply sat in place and looked pretty. You know that this is a room where they had to shape themselves into the ideal version of what Bluebeard wanted. And as that cold feeling sinks down your arm, you know that these two women around you, the other women that decorate the rest of this dining room, you know they are only templates that have been used in the history of Bluebeard's Bride. And on that note, I will care for someone in an attempt to then be able to escape. What would you like to do? I will never be as beautiful or as perfect as you are. Allow me to learn from you. I will remake myself in your image. Am I grappled? I visually, I think so. You're kind of in like this weird embrace with like your hand on the other woman's face. You've got like your one arm down. She's got a knife kind of like held romantically against your chin. Yeah. And I attempt to like not quite dead weight because I'm aware that that would probably put more pressure on the knife. But like I slump into her and 
implore her, take me under your wing. There is no further need to show me that you are truly righteous. You feel her breath catch, and with a mouth that is very, very close to yours, she whispers, I want to cut your hair off. I want to wear it. I think that will make me perfect. It, it's yours. Sister. With a flick of her wrist, she cuts off your braids and clutches them close to her chest. And then she begins to recede. The tinkling sound of wine glasses with spoons tapping against them begins to dissipate. And there is only the woman in the chair strapped against the arms with that silver wire who is still laying there restless. Would you like to propose a truth about this room? Not really, because I can't take any more trauma. Oh, sorry, I should have noted. Everybody heal one trauma because that faithful token we took heals everyone. Oh, thank goodness. Um, that's, <laughs> that's an important detail. Um, and if we take a token of unfaithfulness, disloyalty, that's the word, it will mark trauma. So we might be taking another trauma now, but let's find out. <laughs> okay. How are you feeling there, Witch, about this whole room? What kind of truths did you discover? Or anybody else, if you would like to answer. I think it's become abundantly clear that based on the few interactions that we've had with Bluebeard during and post-wedding beyond the courtship, that we are not going to thrive in this environment as it stands. And based on seeing all of the other women who are the various versions of incorrect but correct bride for Bluebeard, that we have to leave this arrangement. I think that is the truth that I would propose. All right, so you will take a token of disloyalty. Is there any object in this room that you would like to take that represents your feelings of disloyalty towards Bluebeard? Um, there's silverware on the table. There's some silver tassels. There's that wire. I think that I take a lock of her hair. Ooh. And I twist and braid it into a ring and attach that ring to somewhere on my clothing. But it's like a small finger-sized ring. I like that. All right, now, everybody, that trauma that you healed, go ahead and take it again. <laughs> Sorry. Makes perfect sense. No, sister, you're right. It's obvious that he has a type, and we're not it, and it's possible that none of these other women were it when they arrived either. It doesn't seem like they were it even after they were changed, if they're still obsessing over it. If he's cast them aside to be with us... There's, of course, going to be a logical explanation for all of this, and I'm sure we'll be able to find out what it is. I have faith in the sanctity of marriage. I don't know. I think there is a difference between a type and an illness. Maybe he realized that that's not what he's going after. Maybe maybe his, his love for us is conquering his perverse desires before. Maybe we're the change that he needs, someone different with a strong moral compass and a strong hand to help him wean himself off these decadent ways he's learned. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I think with that absolute confidence, we are going to go ahead and end today's session we got to visit two rooms. It went spectacular. <laughs> Nothing bad happened. You know, your husband is fantastic. He holds very, very normal rooms with normal things going on inside of it. Really quickly, I do want to go around. Give me your name. Let me know where we can find you. And just let me know what you've enjoyed about this session so far, because I know it might be folks' not only first time playing Bluebeard's Bride, but maybe playing Powered by the Apocalypse, which is a simple 2D6 system that plays off of any playbooks you, uh, you might have. So as always, I have been your host and GM and Gravekeeper, Zelda. You can find me on Twitter as at B underscore Zelda. I am a podcaster, a member of the Broadswords, a host of Anime Attaché, and a player in the Powerplay RPG. I am a prolific streamer. Follow me on Twitter to figure out my Twitch schedule. And I am the community manager for Dungeons & Dragons Adventurers League. And I would like to say that I have had a great time crafting these rooms based on the details that everybody gave me when we were doing our character creation. So it's a lot of fun putting them into motion. Pooja, why don't you go next? Hi, I'm Pooja. I am horrified. <laughs> uh, 
But you can find me on Twitter at L.A. Daisy Girl. That's L-A-D-E-S-I Girl. And pretty much everywhere else on those socials as Forgotten Saves. If you want to hear me play more RPGs, I am also on It's Probably Okay's Twitch channel on Sunday afternoons and on the Happy Jacks RPG on occasion. Fabulous. And so has Horrified been kind of like your highlighted experience? My brain is broken. My brain, my brain is broken right now. It's the, like, it's the (laughs) mental image of just looking back and like, you know how like, when you see a reflection of a reflection of a reflection of a reflection, that was my mental image of all these women. It was just like a house of mirrors situation, just uh, like to infinity. And we're so in over our heads. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So were those poor women as well. Speak for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Speak for ourselves. Oh, God. Sister, I would never presume to speak for you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, With that being said, Janine, where can we follow you on the internet? And uh, what has been your favorite moment? Um, You can follow me on Twitter and Twitch at Blips and Chits. That's Blips with a Z and Chits with a TZ. I can be seen playing games with TPC on Total Party Chill on Twitch. I'm a few other places here and there occasionally. Yeah, just just follow me on Twitter. I just retweet what people tell me to retweet and it's usually (laughs) involving me. So cool. I think my... How dare you take my hair? (laughs) Oh, yeah. How? Mm -hmm. I get it. Mm -hmm. And it's it was so I was expecting something, obviously, as as the rules imply. But I was like, I don't I thought it would be a task. I so I love that you feel that way, too, because I often think like violence is the only answer. But sometimes just taking away the one thing that you defined yourself with that you found beautiful about you and just removing that. Good luck surviving. Now I'm going to have to kill everyone. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, heck yes. Uh, Michelle, where can we find and support you? Ah, uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Mishulu. That's M-I-C-H-U-L-H-U. You can find my music and Wes's amazing sound effects through Plate Mail Games on DriveThruRPG, or you can subscribe on BattleBards. The thing I most enjoyed, I've never, I've never played Bluebeard's Bride before, so I wasn't quite sure what to expect. And I thought it was more kind of like, I don't know, like spooky psychological horror, you know? And I love horror and the fact that we dived in with things that were pretty awful. I was like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I know it's just, I was like, yeah, I like this. This is, this is awesome. So yeah. So there's that. Excellent. This is your kind of game. All right. And then last but not least, Wes, where can we find you? How do we support you and your podcast? Well, you can find me on Twitter under Plate Mail Games. And then for the show, you can find us at 12, the number, and then Sided Stories or on our website at 12sidestories.com, all spelled out. You can support us on Patreon and Coffee. You can give us five star reviews when you go to your favorite platforms and give us a review or a shout out. Those are always welcome. Uh, we really appreciate those to spread the word. And as for so, Coming to it from a viewpoint of who am I trying the best to, I guess, be like, I think a lot about like, I'm trying to funnel my mom as much as possible. (laughs) She was a single mother. We moved around a lot. And the confidence part always kind of fell in on itself when really like pushed on. So it was hard for me when we did the smack scene because I was like, okay, I don't want, I want to make sure that I I respond in a way Mm -hmm. that makes sense. That isn't me trying to be too forward with, with aggression, but I also feel that she would have done the same thing. She would have fallen apart and, and reacted in a, a more, I wanted to say visceral, I guess, but yeah, so it would, that part, I think overall the, the explanations that you've been giving and the, the scenes that you've been setting have been really wonderful in showing 
a really cohesive kind of mood for the game. And so that has helped a lot with getting out of one's comfort zone and trying really hard to stick the landing as much as I can. So... (laughs) I mean, I loved that moment because at the, like, up until that point, you've worked so hard to play this very poised motherly figure. And that was the breakdown. You know, you don't insult me in this body I work so hard on. Right. Because I had never heard that kind of that kind of critique before. So it really shook my senses. Like, wait a minute. I have never been told this. You obviously are wrong. And you're <laughs> you're obviously going way overboard with uh, how you're attacking me. So I reacted. So... Ah, loved it. And thank you everybody so much for like the trust and the vulnerability that is necessary in this game. Like I do appreciate it and it's not always easy. So thank you for going on this adventure with me. Thank Thank you. you. We will be back with more Bluebeards in a week. More horror for October, which is always good. Thanks. uh, You know, again, uh, be done wonderful. Thank you so much, Janine. Thank you so much for joining us. We we have uh, it, it's been a lot of fun, and I'm really looking forward to uh, how this all kind of it's not going to end well. I know that it will. There will be blood. There will be There's blood. Already been blood. I mean, there already I has been blood. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks everyone. <laughs>